All right, everybody, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's Word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. That's right. Now, last week in chapter 20, we saw how Jesus is, again, winding up his ministry on earth. And he is just making sure that he is not wasting a minute, an opportunity. And yet he is being constantly badgered and questioned and wanting they wanted to trap him. They, they, they want him to stumble. They want to be able to get him. And so what the way we left last week is when he finally just looked at those Sadducees. And, and you know, that too, they don't even believe in the resurrection. And they came up with that question. I mean, how nasty, how mean they were. But Jesus knew just the answer. In fact, his answer gave all of us, the believers, such hope about what we can look forward to. But he kind of put this last question before those religious leaders and said, think about David and know that he called me Lord and he also called me son. He said, think about that. And he pretty much just left it there. No other explanation, no more talk. It's just like, think about that. You can deny me. You can pretend that I'm not who was prophesied for hundreds of years, even though you can quote the verses that prove who I am. But it's your call. But he didn't. He just initiated that question got him thinking, and then turned while they were still listening. But he turned and looked at his disciples and said, beware of people like that. Beware of people that, that know how to look on the exterior like they are just fine, that they, that they are spiritually upright, and yet inside they are, they are lost. They, they are missing it all. Beware they can walk with their robes and they can love the attention. But they devour widows' homes. And we talked about that and we think, how could anybody, except if they have such a hard, cold heart, can take a vulnerable widow and manipulate her money, manipulate out of her the means, I mean, they couldn't get they they don't get a salary so how did they make a living there wasn't any one of those leaders that weren't wealthy they knew how to work people and so it's like it's like Jesus was saying beware of people beware of church people who seem to look like everything is so pious and everything is so right but look at their actions and you'll start to see their heart condition so between last week and this week, I think Jesus is just intensely desperate to make sure that church people are continually looking at their heart condition, looking at their motive. Because a lot of us can do a lot of good deeds, a lot of good works. But if the motive behind it is not for him and for his glory, for service to the one who did it all for us, then we have to, we have to check. We have to do a double check. So we move into chapter 21. And as he looked up, I think he's still, he's still even kind of going along and he's watching the Sadducees and Pharisees the Sanhedrin, they're probably putting, you know, they're putting their offering in, into the offering baskets. And I have a tendency that before they put their $100 bill in, they just kind of put it over their head so everybody could see the big bill before they dropped it in. And he is watching this scenario. But then as he's watching them he sees this widow lady who puts in her two small 
copper coins, which she probably had money before, but they suckered it out of her. Who knows? Because we're just leaving 20, and that's what happened. They devour widows' homes. And so here comes this widow. So Jesus is taking that all in. And so he says these words. I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people give, have given their gifts out of their wealth. But she out of her poverty. But in all she had to live on. She put in all that she had to live on. She gave her all. Now, I know that these verses are used so much because I think pastors have a quota that they got a sermon a year about giving. And I think sometimes this is often used because it is so perfect that way. But I really don't think that Jesus is totally I don't think that is whole method of these words. It's not so much the amount of money that he's concerned about. He wants to teach us that it's the spirit of your heart. It's like, like we know that his words are, he, he loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. And again, the motive of why we're giving is because we can't wait that this message has got to get out. And so ministries and churches, that we're not waving the amount out, but we check the spirit of our heart to make sure that we are privileged to be able to give back because it's all his to begin with. I love the old song. I used to sing this. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He owns it all. And yet he entrusts some of it, his, his money to us. And he wants us to then give back with a cheerful heart and consider it a privilege. And what a difference that makes. So I like those first few verses. It really helped me to see this whole heart of giving. But then we move on. And it said some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. So I guess if you put yourself in this story and you kind of walk along with Jesus and his disciples and you're, you're watching the different things kind of, you know, like, like the widow and, and the Pharisees and you're watching all this, and then as they're moving along, it's kind of like they, they're along the Mount of Olives and they can't help but see the temple. And the disciples stop and they look at this temple. And I would dare say that the sun is just right. And this temple is the temple that Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah this temple was built after the 70 years of captivity that the, that the nation of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, after they were in captivity, after 70 years, God said to Jeremiah, tell them that in 70 years, I'll bring them back here. And so after, after the 70 years, they were brought back to Jerusalem at least the ones who wanted to come back. And this is when they, they built this temple, which probably wasn't that fancy then, but it was a place that they could worship. But then, hundreds of years later, King Herod gets a hold of this temple and puts on an addition like we can't even imagine. And he decides to... Over all the things that were built, he decided to cover everything with a layer of gold. And then where gold wasn't appropriate, then he would put pure white marble. So it just gives us a little bit of an idea of how gorgeous it was. Not only was it big, but it just 
plane made a statement. And like I said, with the sun coming down and shining on that gold and reflecting off that pure white marble, it had to be been a sight. And it's not that God doesn't want us to recognize beautiful things. But I think he could see the disciples' hearts and how quickly human nature can just attach itself to the exterior things, the material things. And Jesus, he again, he knows he's on borrowed time. And so he, it's kind of like he sets his men down on the Mount of Olives he doesn't even wait to get off the mountain or go home. Or he sets them down on the Mount of Olives. And he says these words. As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. And I'm sure that was quite a hard pill to swallow. I mean, or it sure did cause questions. This great big temple that's centered in the middle of Jerusalem. And he's saying it's going to be destroyed to the point that not one stone is going to be left on top of another. And so their question back to him was, teacher, when will when will this happen? What will be the sign that will take place so we can know? I think that was a legitimate question. Like, when is this going to take place? What can we be looking for? And that's when Jesus started to, and again, this is one powerful, intense sermon, and it has a title. This is a sermon with a title, and it's called the Olivet Discourse. And it's called Olivet because they're on the Mount of Olives. And it's called Discourse because he's now going to detail, and he's going to sum up the conditions that the world is going to continue to get like. The world is going to get worse and worse. The believer is going to have it harder and harder. But then the discourse is, but I'm going to tell you, that you can still have the hope that you need because I'm coming back and I will make everything right again. But in this Olivet Discourse, even, even Luke is more condensed. Matthew 24 is even more detailed. But Luke has just enough. Jesus talks and Luke condenses just perfectly. But yet I love to coincide. I love to put what Jesus says here and then go to the revelation. And it's almost like you can hear Jesus say, John, write this down. I want them to know more. I want them to know more details. I want them to understand that it is not going to be easy. It's not going to be a fun experience. I want them to realize that this isn't something that they can avoid. And so this is the reason for the sit down on the Mount of Olives and he opens up with this, with this message. And he's looking at those disciples and he says, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name. They will claim that they are, I am he. The time is near. And I read those verses and I thought, there is not a chance that if somebody comes walking up to me someday and sticks out their hand and says, I would like to introduce myself. My name is Jesus Christ. That I'm going to fall for that nonsense. So I'm thinking, I mean, he's looking at his disciples. And why would he say that to these, these men 
that had been so solid with him that he knows he's going to be sending out to bring the gospel to the world. And yet he looks at them and says, watch out that you don't get deceived by people like this. And to me, watch out is a big warning. Watch out. And it made me think, yeah, if I stay connected to God's word, if I stay listening to his spirit, yes, it will be a bunch of nonsense if someone says that's who they are. But if I'm listening to God's spirit, I'm also going to have the spirit remind me of a verse in Luke and a couple in Revelation that says, when Jesus comes back, there will be no question. Because every eye will see him. But see, that reminds me that I have to stay connected. This is the warning that Jesus has given his disciples that he's given to you and I. Be careful about spiritual cockiness and think that I've been raised in this, I know this. After all, I'm this old, I've been through the Bible umpteen times. I've been in Bible study for years. He's still cautioning us with that kind of attitude. Be careful, because the watch out, because the second that you think that you're handling it, well, it's just so easy to get sucked up into that self-sufficiency, self-confidence, even self-religion. It's really so easy. And it can, if it can happen to the disciples, he's saying it certainly can happen to everybody who is reading this. So never underestimate the power of self. And if you are not committed every day, holding tight, listening close, that verse is something to think about. So, But look how simple he is with the next sentence. Do not follow them. Do not follow them. In other words, if somebody tries to deceive you, listen close to God's Spirit. Help them recall what you've learned from the Scriptures. And don't follow them. I mean, I think about the false prophets that are around right now that are convincing people of all these, these different stories that they're coming up with because itching ears want to hear what they want to hear. Paul warned Timothy about that too. Because of our human nature, we want to hear certain things and, and we just gravitate to that. But what Paul was saying, stick to the truth. Do not follow them. We've been warned there's going to be false prophets. The only way you're going to know the difference between a false prophet and the truth of God's word is to know God's word. That's the only way. Because it's going to look so close. And it's going to be what you want to hear. And we're, we're, so, we're so gullible to temptation. Don't follow them. And then verse 9, when you hear of wars and revolutions... Look what he says. Do not be frightened. Now, I think pretty much what he is saying when you watch the news, because that's how we hear about things. So when you are watching the news and you are hearing about this war in this part of the world and you hear about this shooting and you hear about this uprising and this protest, and you look at the chaos of this world, what is the human tendency? To hear that, to watch that, and to be afraid. It just is. Because I think you can't help but think, when is it going to hit here? It's getting closer and closer. 
our country, I don't think I'm, I'm off the bean path here. I think our country is getting weaker and weaker. So how do we know that what we're seeing and what we're watching and what we're hearing, that it could be us someday? So he says, when you do hear about this, don't be afraid. And he gives you the reason. He gives you the reason why you don't have to be afraid. These things must happen. But the end will not come right away. So he says, you have to watch this because this is part of my plan. This is how I'm going to bring an end to this earth to this world. This is how I'm going to bring myself back. So these are just, when he's sitting there with his disciples, it's almost like you can picture him saying this to us because he knows that we, we are thinking the same things. We have the same human tendencies. And he says, I don't want you to be afraid because I want you to understand. And if you keep skipping this chapter, and if you keep wanting to avoid this issue, you're not going to be ready. You're not going to be prepared. This must happen. These things have to happen. And the thing is, we don't know exactly. I remember I used to sing a song 40 years ago. The song went like this. Signs of the times are everywhere. There's a brand new feeling in the air. So lift your eyes upon the eastern sky. Lift up your head. And you know, I was studying this week and I thought, I bet that's where the writer of that song got, got that song from this passage. So keep your eyes upon the eastern sky. Lift up your head. Redemption draweth nigh. Man, I belted that song. I love singing that song because I loved the reaction of people when I sang that song. Because when you looked around 40 years ago, it looked like, it looked like all the signs were there. And so we were all thinking, well, could be any day, could be any day. Now, here we are 40 years later. But I do have to say that all the signs that I saw 40 years ago, I see them all now, but I see them all intensified. And I see now what Jesus means where he says, keep your eyes open, keep your lives ready, be watching. When was the last time you, you just gazed toward the eastern sky imagining Jesus' return? When was the last time you did that? It's, it's like we just kind of pushed that out of our mind. And Jesus gives a sermon like this, I think, for us to remind ourselves that it's going to happen because he goes on to say, nation is going to rise against nation. It's not going to get any better. And so he's saying, it's, this world is going to get worse and worse. So you shouldn't even be surprised. Oh, yeah, you can say, well, you know, we had the wrong president. Or, oh, if we just had this man as president. Or if we, if we had the, you know, if, if we were in charge of the Senate, or if we were in charge of the House, oh, then things would be different. And what Jesus is saying here, I'm just warning you, it's not about that. It's kind of like that analogy that he gives when it comes to the end times. He, he kind of uses a woman in childbirth. Kind of uses that, and it makes sense if you've been through that. He says it starts rather mild, and then it just keeps increasing. I could always understand that. That made sense to me. I can remember when... I started labor with our, with our first child, and I remember thinking, oh, this is a piece of cake. 
this isn't so bad at all. <laughs> and then a little while later, I was eating all those words, obviously. I mean, and for you who have been through it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I can understand that. He's saying, just like with Revelation, start with the seven seals. You don't listen? Okay, here we go. Seven trumpets. Not listening? Okay, now you're really going to have it with the seven bowls of wrath. We saw that God's judgment comes in, comes in a process. Starts a little milder, and it keeps increasing. But this week I saw another thing about that beautiful analogy. It wasn't just that the pain and the suffering gets worse. But I also, but I also thought there wasn't one time in either one of my childbirths that I could say, you know, I think I changed my mind. I think I'm going to pass. There wasn't, a, there wasn't a time that I could say, I'm going to go back because there's no such thing. Once the process has started, there is no turning back. And that's when it clicked. I thought, we're a part of that. We're a part of the process. We're moving forward toward the day that Jesus is coming back. And so when you hear, when you see, and you watch all of the news, and, and you look at that, and your temptation is to be frightened about it, try, try this. Hallelujah. That's a little different than fear, isn't it? When you're watching that, you change your fear into hallelujah. We're a part of the process. He is coming back, and there's no turning back. He's already started it. Nation will rise, kingdom will rise against kingdom. There's going to be great earthquakes, famines, pestilence in various places, fearful events, great signs from heaven. Verse 12, he's, now he's given us some signs to look forward to, to be watching for. But now he's going to move into, but I got to be honest with you, this is where it's not going to be so nice for you. And he doesn't pull the wool over our eyes. He doesn't put rose-colored glasses on us. He levels with us. This Olivet Discourse is to make sure we are very much aware that we're not taken off guard. This particular portion of scripture is similar to Daniel when we hear about two different prophecies yet combined into one. He's going to be talking about the prophecy that's going to happen in 70 A.D., that is now history to us. And so we too can look at the scripture and say, but the prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled is pretty much the same principles. So you look at these verses, looking at two prophecies. I remember um, this week I was looking at Charles, uh, no, uh, Charles Spurgeon. And he quoted, he said that what happened in 70 AD is a dress rehearsal of what's going to happen when Jesus returns. So kind of think about that when we go through this and Jesus is telling his disciples what's going to happen in 70 AD, which is probably around 37 years from then. And he's, he's trying to tell them that Rome is coming in. And the reason why Rome, I, I did a little history search on this, and the reason why this all, we know Rome has been in charge for, for hundreds of years. And that's why the people of Israel were so disappointed in Jesus, because they wanted to be freed from Rome. So 37 years later, 
they decided to take upon themselves. And they revolted against Rome. Then that lasted for about 15 minutes. But it's like they just kind of totally decided they were going to do it themselves. And they tried taking over. Well, Rome came in and just in a short period of time just destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. And the thing is, in this prophecy, they were warned. So I'm going to go on. Verse 12. But before this, they, uh, they will lay hands on you, persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. But look what he says in verse 13, because verse 12, I think that's a hard verse to know that persecution is going to happen. And like I said, he calls a spade a spade. You're going to be persecuted. You've got to be ready for it so it doesn't throw you off. But look at he comes back with verse 13. This will result in your being a witness to them. What a comeback. What a positive. This is going to happen, but what an opportunity for you. I mean, when Jason talked about what was happening in that church where people were coming in for safety, the prostitutes, the atheists, but they, in this persecution, what was happening? God's word was being presented. The gospel was being heard. And this atheist came to know Jesus as his savior. And look what happened. Look at the stories that happened because of persecution. From the book of Acts, on, we've seen that the church just grew and blossomed and mushroomed, not during, not during good times, but during persecution. So that verse 13 helps us to see that God can use, he can use some of the worst of times to really show how firm we are in our belief. Can we possibly be a witness during those kind of times? And he says, you sure can if you do 14. If you do, ver if you do verse 14. Because I think we all wonder. We all wonder in the worst of times like that, how will I be? What will I say? Could I really be that strong? He said, this is what you have to start now. You have to make up your mind now. While you and I have an opportunity, we've got to decide right now. I've got to get to know this. I've got to get thy word in my heart that I am not tempted to sin against you and be ashamed of this gospel. Make up your mind now not to worry. See, the more you know, the more confident you are, the more sure you are. And that is what enables us to stand all and lift our heads because we are so sure of the truth. He says, for I will give you, I will give you the words and the wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. To me, that is such a major, com such a major com comfort that we can be assured if we do the work now, if, if we commit ourselves to his word every day, we commit ourselves to Bible study, if we commit ourselves to believing that this book is all we need, Then he said, I will see to it that you will have the right words, the wisdom.
that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. I loved it when Jason said that that atheist who turned to be Christian but had to go home and tell his wife and she left him. But before she left him, she said, how could you believe all that? How could, how could you be changed so much? Can't you just imagine that conversation? And for him to say, how can you not? How can you not believe when you're watching this and you're watching that, you have no other explanation. And I'm sure she didn't have any, any words to come back with. But when you tell the truth and he's given you the words and the wisdom that even your enemies cannot contradict, to me that's a very good piece of scripture for you and I. And then, and then he goes on and he says, you will be betrayed. I think in verse 16 he comes back and he wants us to get back into the reality because he is living it. And he says, sometimes it'll be people that you least expect. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. And they will put some of you to death. When Jesus is sitting there with these 12, I wonder if he even glanced Judas's way. So Jesus, when he's speaking these words, he is living them. And he's reminding us that it's not going to always just come from people that you assume are going to react that because they don't believe it all. But the people that you love and the people that you thought you knew, that, that's the hardest. And then he says, all men will hate you because of me. Thanks a lot. That's not really encouraging, except for the fact that by this time, I think we should know it is so worth it. But he does say, you're going to be hated because of me. But look, they hated Jesus. They hated the disciples. Look what happened to those apostles. What makes us think that this can't possibly happen to us? So we've got to be ready and prepared. But not a hair of your head will perish. I looked at that phrase and I thought to myself, yeah, but I know some missionaries that were burned at the stake and I'm sure their hair was the first thing to burn. So what does that mean? But not a hair of your head will perish. Again, I think our natural first thought is exterior. We're talking about this hair. And we have talked at length about, you know, as much as Jesus loves every part of us, the earthly part of us, he knows, like we said last week, from ash you were created, from ash you will return. You're missed here today, gone tomorrow. So he knows the reality and the conditions of our earthly deteriorating body. What he's concerned about, and I think he's even talking about spiritual hair here. He's talking about, and I think he uses hair because it's, it's just so fine and it's, it just seems so teeny. And he says, even... Even a hair on your head isn't going to perish because no matter what happens, the part of you that is mine, because you've walked to Calvary, you've accepted the Savior in his shed blood, you've seen yourself the way you truly are, 
and you've responded to the gospel message, then you are mine, and I will see to it. There isn't one part of you that they can take. What's mine, they cannot touch. What belongs to Jesus, our insights that belong to Jesus, there isn't a person on this earth, there isn't a circumstance that we experience that can take that away. So I think that was a beautiful analogy, too, that he used. The part of you that's mine, no one can touch. It won't perish. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. And let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. That's quite a mouthful. Here's another big warning sign. It is definitely for the people that are going to experience the fall through the Romans. But it's also talking about us. He's saying, listen to me. Listen to my instructions. And as history now has proven that those who listened those who listened, and when they saw the armies surrounding, they got out of there. The Christian who believed the word. I shouldn't say Christian. But yeah, yeah, I can. I can say the believer, the Christian then. If they believed God's word, they heeded his instruction, and they got out of town. If they got out of town, or if they lived out of town, didn't even think about going in. If they believed God's warning, if they obeyed it, there was not one that perished. But those who were religiously cocky and thought, oh, no, it's not going to happen. It, it isn't. I mean, they could see all the signs around them. Nah, I'll be fine. And they plug their ears. They close their eyes. The statistics are 1.1 million Jews were killed. And 97,000 were taken prisoner. But those who listened, now one perished. I think maybe that's why Jesus said it so clearly in John 3.16. I love you. I love every one of you. And I know your condition. So I'm going to give you my son. My only son. I'm going to give him to you. And if you believe his sacrifice for you, you're not going to perish. In other words, if you follow my terms, my instructions, you're not going to perish. You think you don't need it? You'll be a statistic. Boy, that fits. It fits so perfectly. See, in verse 22, Jesus reminds, he showed us so clearly in the Old Testament. I hate sin. I follow through with consequences. I've warned you so many times, I can't even count. But if you choose not to believe, punishment will be fulfilled. Then, in 70 AD, and in our future. As I said, we follow the history of 70 AD. No wonder Spurgeon said, dress rehearsal. So you better listen to the instructions, because what God says he does it had happened just as he said in this passage in 70 AD. So I would say you can count on being fulfilled directly the same way at judgment. Too late. But you've been warned. 
How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword, will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That's exactly what happened then. And when we today we even watch we even watch that temple mount. We see the Muslims think it's theirs. The Jews think it's theirs. The Christians think it's theirs. What a mess. There will be signs. Verse 25, you're going to start to see that now we're going into the prophecy for us, specifically for us. There will be signs in the sun, moon, stars, On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, at that time, so he pretty much in verses 25 and 26, see, he's condensing revelation there. But then he comes back at verse 27. Because I was reading Revelation this week, and I, I saw Revelation 6, 8, 9, 15, 16, 17. I mean, I was reading that, and I thought, that's what he said here. But now he details it there. But then in verse 27, it says, and at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. That's Revelation 19. I mean, this past week, we've, we watched Jesus enter the city on a donkey, which is the animal of peace. Jesus was going into the city as one more chance to say, I came to save you. I, I came to bring you peace. But when he comes back, when he comes back in Revelation 19 and in verse 27, when he comes back, he is going to be riding the white horse, which is symbolic of war because Jesus is coming back to rid evil for the last time. Evil will be banished forever. So, you hear that at the time they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud. See, how can, how can you not look at that verse and say that someone comes up to you and says that they're the Messiah? When it's so clear that he's coming from the sky and every eye will see him. He says, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads up because your redemption is drawing nigh. He told this parable. Jesus is so good about telling stories, and so he incorporated this story. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. Because he he says, you know, picture this. When you see a fig tree, or any tree for that matter, and how apropos that it's at this time of year that we're studying this. Because like tonight, how could you not take a ride to church and not notice? I mean, even Tom said, I bet this week we're going to see some blossoms come out. How can you ride downtown and not see the daffodils and see the tulips? It's just beautiful. It just gives you such an uplifted feeling because you think, new life. It's coming back. I mean, when you live in Michigan, you do love the seasons. I love every season. But I can't understand why winter's got to be so long. 
But maybe, just maybe, it's so long because when spring does come, you appreciate it all the more. And maybe that's why we need a chapter like 21. Because you have to see it all. You've got to see the hard parts. You've got to hear the reality that the earth, the world is getting worse and worse. It's not going to get better. And you and I have to make the most now that we know that we're not afraid because we are sure of the truth. That we have, we have fallen on the cornerstone and we have broken ourselves into pieces. Our self, our pride has been broken. And that cornerstone is now the substance of our life. So we never have to think about that stone falling on us, that judgment crushing us and pushing us into hell. I love the way all of this, these last chapters, Jesus gives us such visuals so that we can picture in the fig tree and all the trees. He says, when they sprout leaves, you can see for themselves and you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. I wish I could totally explain that to you. I mean, because your first tendency is the generation that Jesus was talking to has come and gone. And he hasn't come back. So does this generation mean the generation that sees the final signs will see the income? Could it mean that this generation is the season of the church from when it started to when it ends? I don't know. I wish I could tell you. There are some things I think Jesus doesn't tell us specifically because if we knew exactly, maybe we would get lazy. Maybe he doesn't want us to know so that we make sure that we are ready today. Because every time you read, redemption draweth nigh, every day is closer. We are in the process. We, not, we might not be in the tribulation yet, but we are in the process of moving toward that direction of his return. And there's no turning back. He says, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. But then verse 33, this is something you and I can know for sure. And that is heaven and earth will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. And we know that from Revelation 21. Because Jesus said, John, write this down. I'm going to show you. And so John did. I saw. I saw the new heaven and the new earth because the old order of things has passed away. So we know that. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In other words, what he said in the Old Testament, what he said on the Mount of Olives, in this Olivet Discourse, they were meant for then, they're meant for now. And his words do not pass away. Verse 34, he says these two words again. He uses the words, watch out. And now he says, be careful, be careful. He's looking at his disciples who are going to be sent out, and he's saying to you and to me, be careful. 
Don't get spiritually cocky. Don't think that you don't need Bible study. Don't think that you don't need to be in this book. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. Because when you disconnect, one thing that I did learn in Florida, when being gone that long, I saw how easy it is. I saw the same kind of feeling in summer. If we don't even keep coming at least once a month. We need the structure. We need the discipline. Because if we think, well, I'm on vacation. Whether you go on vacation for a week or two or like us seven weeks. I've heard everything and I'm not buying it anymore. Did you keep up with the study? Well, no. No, I was only going to go. I was only going to be gone a week, so I didn't even bring my Bible. Or, you know, I was only going to be gone a couple weeks, and after all, I'm on vacation. Summer is the time where I just don't have a schedule for anything. Oh, I've heard it all. And another thing I've heard from people who are in Florida for the winter. I know I should. I'm just so busy, I don't have time. You don't have time. What are you doing? See, I'm, I just started realizing that in our human nature, we have a tendency to disconnect from him, thinking, no problem. But Jesus is looking at his future apostles, and he is saying, be careful. He's saying that to every one of us. Do not think it can happen to you. The phrase goes one day away from the Lord. He knows. Two days, too busy. You start to know. You can just sense it. Three days, too busy for him. Believe me, everybody starts knowing. Because self has gotten a hold of you again. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. In my version, it says dissipation. And so I had to look up that word. I didn't know what that word was. And I'm so glad that I looked it up because a cinnamon, a cinnamon, no, a synonym. (laughs) A synonym of dissipation is hangover. And I don't think that he's talking about just an alcoholic hangover. I think he's talking about a hangover when you think that self can handle it. Careful. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with a hangover. Drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And then he describes it. That and that, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. I'm so glad he used that word, like a trap. Before you know it, that trap's got you again. The day you don't think you need to hold on tight is the day you're heading for trouble. And that's why, be careful. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. So all of this chapter, all of this discourse, all of this advice, warning, is for who? Everyone. Everyone who lives on the face of this earth. No one is going to be exempt from this. So you either deal with him now as your savior, or you will deal with him as your judge. We've said this numerous times in the last weeks. This is a check your heart chapter. This is a warning chapter. It's a watch out chapter. It's a be careful chapter. And who is he talking to? You and I.
be always on watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. Be always on watch. Another one of those all-inclusive, be always. In other words, don't, don't disconnect. Be always on watch. And pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. How are you and I going to escape the destruction of this earth? I know there's different interpretations. I certainly don't want to offend anybody. I think the answer is the same for both. I feel there's many passages that warrant the belief in the rapture. I'll tell you, not only is it in scripture, but that is my vote. That the church is taken out of here before all of this happens. Before the tribulation, before it really starts getting bad. That the church is ushered out of here. But how, if the rapture, if you do believe in the rapture, how can you know that you will be raptured? That you will escape it all? And his name is Jesus. Always has been, always will be. It's an old rugged cross. It's shed blood. It's the humbling of yourself. That is the way we can know we will be raptured out of here. We will escape it all. But if you don't believe in the rapture, how are you going to escape when we know that this earth is going to be destroyed? How are you going to escape? Same way. Same way. It's Jesus. It's your heart condition. It's the way you have taken his terms and applied them to your life. So whether you believe you're taken out of here before or whether you're here and you endure it all, the only way that you're going to escape eternal death is through Jesus. He ends this chapter by Luke brings it back and he says, after this intense, dramatic, it is dramatic, it's, you can almost see Jesus telling them, oh, I gotta level with you. It is not gonna be a good time. There's gonna be some good things happening, but I need you to understand that this earth it's going to get worse and worse, and you just have to know it. But you have to know that I'm coming back, and I will make it all right. He wants every one of us to know this. And like we said before, instead of taking that last week of his life and just taking his chosen view and saying, I just want some special time with you. No. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple. Each evening he went up to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And look, if you want to hear, look at those people who really wanted to hear. They came early. They came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. I can, I can apply that to us now. Jesus is still talking. He's still teaching and he's wanting us to desire to want to know more and more so that we either come early or we come at night because we don't want to miss what he's got for us. Heavenly Father, you made it so clear. Father, I pray that, that we take this serious lesson tonight but see the joy and the hope that as believers, we can even endure. We can endure persecution. We can endure watching our world disintegrate. We can, we can look at evil and, it's, and it seems that it's winning. And yet we can know. So instead of hearing, seeing, watching, 
instead of fearing, we're saying hallelujah. Bring it on. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your children the security to know that all is well with our soul. That not a hair on our head will perish. There isn't one little part that you own that there is one person or experience that can tarnish or take away. You've got us. Help us to live knowing that. What a difference it can make. Look at the joy that we can testify with. That if we make the most now of knowing you, the result will be someone hearing the gospel. So, Father, thank you for this lesson tonight. And we will truly give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.